2: the scene of the crime, a crime of passion filmed in a way you have never seen before and as no one else would dare attempt but the screen's master of suspense, the producer-director who shocked the world with Psycho. This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. For instance, down there on the second floor, the woman pacing about. He calls her Miss Lonely Hearts so lonely that even death seems like a friend. These are the newlyweds on a honeymoon no one will ever forget. He calls her Miss Hearing Aid, an artist of a very odd and strange art. The songwriter who plays the same melody over and over again. A genius or insane? This is the traveling salesman and his invalid wife out of their arguments and nagging comes a weird kind of love Miss Torso the body beautiful that is viewed from a safe distance those are just a few of my neighbors first I watched them just to kill time but then I couldn't take my eyes off them just as you won't be able to And you won't be able to take your eyes off the glowing beauty of Grace Kelly, who shares the heart and curiosity of James Stewart in this story of a romance shadowed by the terror of a horrifying secret.
0: guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today I have a very special guest in here with me. No, it's not Kyle. It's the triumphant return of
1: Terrence.
0: Terrence. I'm back, Actually, Kyle is playing the part of Terrence today and not here. (laughs) Uh, So, Speedy Recovery, Kyle, he's dealing with some stuff. So, uh, I figured I'd bring in a guest host. (laughs) (laughs) So... It's good to have Terrence back. This is episode eighty-four. We'll be talking about one of Sir Alfred Hitchcock's. It's kind of fitting that I'm back for this one.
1: I've been there for all the other Hitchcock (laughs) movies,
0: right? (laughs) Uh, Rare Window. Um, But before we get started, a couple things we'd like to say. Um, First off, if you haven't heard and haven't been part of our Facebook page, we will be doing a live show, uh, live podcast in the Indianapolis area on July sixteenth, twenty twenty-two, with our good friends Hillbilly Horror Stories. And uh, kind of a newer podcast, but good friends now, Todd Hedges, uh, Sean, and uh, the other guy, Nate, uh, for Middle-Aged and Creeped Out podcast. So if you haven't listened to them, please go give them a listen. And I'm going to go ahead and drop Sean, or sorry, uh, Todd sent me his promo for their podcast, so I'm going to go ahead and drop it in right here.
2: Hey guys, this is Todd, Sean, and Nate, and we are from the Middle-Aged and Creeped Out podcast. We drop full episodes every Wednesday night or Thursday morning, and our Middle-Aged mini-episodes drop on Saturday afternoons at 3 o'clock. And if you enjoy discussions about the paranormal, weird, unexplained, and just plain creepy, then check out our show. You can find us however you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you hear, don't hesitate to give us a five-star rating and review. Telling a friend, family member, or even a coworker about us helps the show. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching middle-aged and creeped out. And our TikTok is at Mako podcast, and that's with two A's. Well, Nate, what do you think? That's the end of our promo, and that's a wrap. Well, there you go. So until next time, Creepies, Nate is your sound engineer. We are your hosts, Todd and Sean. And they are middle-aged and creeped out. Keep it creepy.
0: So there you have it. That's our good friends now, uh, Todd, uh, Sean, and Nate from Middle-Aged and Creeped Out. So, Terrence, if so we're gonna give you the questions let's do it if you were stuck in a cast like poor jimmy stewart in this movie um i, I don't even know where to go with this i mean it's
1: just such a weird movie
0: but it's such a good movie
1: what would you do well i tell yeah, you what I, I wouldn't be doing yeah, it's solving a murder
0: <laughs> i wouldn't be you know you, you sit back and you see this movie and you, you, you see him staring out the window and you're like this guy's a creep you know yeah, like a like bit. a like a peeping tom
1: I, I, I think kind of. that's what's interesting is, is um, you know, every movie, Hitchcock's doing something to pull the audience in one direction or another. And in this particular one, it's by letting you draw your own conclusions as you watch this guy, watch everyone.
0: <laughs> it, it definitely has a weird feel to it. Because um, I, I, this is the first time I've watched I think I watched it a long time ago, and it used to be in black and white, if I remember. Really? But I watched it in color, okay, right? Yeah. So uh, it was kind of different. So... Oh, uh, let's just go ahead and jump into this and get going.
1: All right. Rear window release date September 1st, 1954. Interestingly enough, this is rated PG. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, there's
0: yeah, I mean, nothing, yeah, nothing I mean, I mean everything's about. basically insinuated off-screen, nothing's yeah,
1: actually shown. Here. Right. It's budget uh only 1 million dollars. So very very small budget, and, and that's well, well, an estimate. Maybe yeah,
0: but $1 you, million. But if you look at it, they're not really having to move a lot of sets and everything. It's um, the same set actually. It's the, it's I've the seen entire, pictures of it It's online. the entire set, yeah. and um, the way it's set up is I think there. I think it's in my notes somewhere, but I think there's like the sixteen hotel rooms. Yeah, and like two or three of them actually had uh, functioning water, electricity, and all that stuff where, uh, like. The uh, the lady I forget her name the one that's the dancer oh yeah the ballerina uh, yeah or not the ballerina whatever is she, she is yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought that maybe they said that at one but, point. Um, miss memory <laughs> uh, she actually is um, lived in her apartment during takes like she would take a nap <laughs> and eat and all that you know and uh, but that the, he made it a little bit bigger so the, actually the bottom floor like the courtyard is actually the basement of the studios because he had to tear it out because it was so tall.
1: And oh yeah. Out, so um, if you get a chance, go online and look up uh, rear window set pictures. Um, it was really cool seeing the, the set they put together no, and yeah. that whole setup.
0: Miss torso. I think her name was miss torso, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny
1: too. Right. Uh, so we have domestic box office, uh, $27.5 million. So it, Made well more than its, uh, its budget back. Um, international only made $31.1 thousand dollars. So pretty much ending at $27.5 thousand dollars. Or million dollars. Uh, still a lot of money made for something that was made for only a million. That still blows my mind. Like, you, you couldn't even... It, it, even nowadays a, a small indie film pushes over a million usually. And I think
0: a large part of the uh, the cost too, I do believe, was the lights. Yeah. Um, because they could they could take it from full day to full night. I think they said in forty five minutes. And um, I'll get to it in my notes. There's some interesting stuff about the lights too. So
1: nice. Uh, so we have the box office of 1954. Uh, this is a bit of an older older movie. So um, there's no actual uh, box office for the month, but I was at least able to find it for the year. Um, I don't know, some of the even older ones, we can't even find the year. So this one I have the year, and this one's interesting. Um, at number one, we have White Christmas. Number two, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Number three, Demetrius and, Glad- and the Gladiators. Number four, we have Rear Window. So it was the number four movie of that year. Uh, number five, we have the um, the cane Mutiny. And number six, Gone with the Wind.
0: Now, uh, Gone with the Wind was actually released, wasn't in nineteen thirty nine. So, is this a re-release? So, probably? it would have
1: to be a re-release. I right. don't think it was remade. No, no. This was directed by obviously Alfred Hitchcock, and uh, so down the line of you know the other movies that we've covered uh, of his, we've done Psycho, North by Northwest, and Vertigo, and so this will be our fourth Alfred Hitchcock movie.
0: Mm, over, uh, North by Northwest and Vertigo, Vertigo
1: yep. yeah. uh, writing credits goes to John Michael Hayes um, so some of his notable ones To Catch a Thief uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much and The Trouble with Harry uh, then we have Cornell Woodrich uh, who also helped in the writing uh, this one he also helped write like The Window, Original Sin and Fallen Angels music by France Waxman Um, who's also done music for Sunset Boulevard, Rebecca, The Bride of Frankenstein, Mm. and uh, Suspicion. Director of photography, Robert Burks, who also did the camera work for Vertigo, To Catch a Thief, and Strangers on a Train. And film editing, uh, George uh, Tomasini helped editing on North by Northwest, The Time Machine, marine and vertigo and this was also produced by hitchcock himself uh, i had no other producers so he directed and produced this one himself you ever uh, wonder how much common. uh
0: money hitchcock made in his career it must have been a lot <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah i mean i just said uh, we'll have to dive into that on our next hitchcock episode see enough it. to come in drunk on ads <laughs> that he's recording and
1: get away with it <laughs> At a certain point, you just, you're just you just so famous and you make enough that you just... Oh, it's got. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, technical specs. we got a run time of an hour and 52 minutes, almost pushing uh, two hours. Um, it actually makes pretty good uh, uh, use of its time. Um, even like the credits in the beginning, it's sort of like starting to tell the story of like, mm-hmm. you're looking at the uh, uh, all the building complexes and you're kind of getting a glimpse of everybody's life just right at the get-go. Um and it pretty much ends when the movie ends. So
0: I have a qu- does anybody not believe in curtains in this or blinds? I mean <laughs> I know, right?
1: every window are just
0: wide open,
1: you know what
0: I mean? Uh, <laughs> Except well they, the one. They have the one guy to like looks out to the left, it's always shut, you know what I mean? Uh they
1: they did mention that it was so hot um and I guess nobody had AC. Uh yeah,
0: like the that the couple that, that sleeps out windows. on the yeah. on the the, yeah. the
1: catwalk or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. I was like, what is going on there?
0: <laughs> The dog in the basket that they would
1: always <laughs> pull up. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, this movie is in color. Uh, sound mix mono, Western Electric Recording. And now as far as like uh, the movie in, I don't, I didn't see a black and white version because there are three different rear windows. There's the Alfred Hitchcock movie. There was a, uh, a TV movie. And then there was a small television series of rear window.
0: It's in my notes. I read it. Yeah. I'll
1: have to. So I wonder if maybe it was one of those that decided to do like an, uh, you know, just sort of a artist decision making it black and white or something like that. Um,
0: but also uh, the uh, the editing aspect of it, where they're taking the flash bulbs and yeah. then it has that orange, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that was a really cool effect they did
0: at the end Because <laughs> yeah, if you've ever been in the dark and done that, that's oh, yeah. exactly how you feel <laughs> like right? right? each light.
1: <laughs> Aspect ratio, we're looking at uh, 1.37 by 1. Uh, original ratio, but the intended ratio was supposed to be 1.66 by 1. Uh, cameras used in this was a Mitchell BNC and a Bosch and Lom Balter lenses. Uh, laboratory, this was edited in Technicolor Hollywood, USA. Film length, 12 reels. Uh, negative format, 35mm. Uh, Eastman, 2- 25T. Uh, Seminographic process, spherical. Uh, printed film format, 35mm. And it's it's been a while, so I think in a... F- uh, Probably in the next two episodes or so, <laughs> in the next two years, so t- when Terrence makes his return, I'm going to circle back <laughs> to talking about cinematographic process, and I might go a little deeper just uh, just so people know what we're talking about when when I mention that in particular. Uh, and printed, did I say it? yeah, printed film format, 35 All
0: All right, so we'll go ahead and jump into the cast real quick. I see Terrence has some extra extra notes today, so um, this is obviously a Hitchcock film uh, starring uh, James Stewart. Uh, As L.B. Jeff Jeffries, Uh, you may notice him from a movie we just did a few weeks ago, uh, Shenandoah, Uh, Vertigo we've done. Uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. This also stars the famous and beautiful and talented Grace Kelly as Lisa Carol Fremont. Uh, You may remember her from Dial M for Murder and To Catch a Thief. Wendell Corey as NYPD Detective Lieutenant Thomas Tom J. Doyle. Thelma Ritter as Stella. Raymond Burr as Lars Thorwald. Thorwald. Uh, do you know who Raymond Burr was? He looks familiar. <laughs> he was Perry Mason on the TV show. Uh, you probably don't know who Perry Mason was, do you? No. He was a he was a lawyer, black and white uh, TV show lawyer back oh, okay. in the day. Um, he also played uh, Steve Martin in the Godzilla movies. Okay. Uh, Godzilla 84 and i seen another one. Uh, he was also Ironside's. Uh, Judith Evelyn as Miss Lonely Hearts. Uh, She was in the Tingler from 1959, I think that says, or 859, I do believe. Uh, Ross Bagdasarian as the songwriter. He was actually the writer for the new Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Uh, He was also did the soundtrack, or in the soundtrack for Almost Famous and The Fate of the Furious. For all you past The Furious friends. Uh, Georgine Darcy as Miss Torso. Uh, Sarah Berner and Frank Cady as the couple living above the Thorwalds, Thorwalds with their dog. R.I.P. Jess uh, <laughs> Fax as Miss Hearing Aid. <laughs> Rand Harper and Havis Davenport as the Newlyweds. Irene Winston as Mrs. Anna Thorwald. So there's also some uncredited uh, cast. Um, but also, yes... Just like Alfred Hitchcock always does, he does have a cameo in this movie. Did you spot him, Terrence? I didn't.
1: Where did it, he put?
0: He is out around the between the twenty five and the twenty-six minute mark where he is seen winding a clock in one of the apartment windows. I think it's the musician, the songwriters. Oh, okay. He's winding the clock, and he turns around. And you may not have noticed him because for this film, he had lost about 150 pounds. Oh, so he's looking pretty, pretty young and dapper. And they say he was like at the happiest of his life during this movie. So, pretty interesting
1: facts about. And then uh, Alfred Hitchcock. And a different section, but still my favorite part: the awards. (laughs) So we have Academy Awards. USA 1955, uh, just nominations. So we got uh, Oscar nomination for Best Director, uh, Best Writing Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound. Um, BAFTA 1955, once again, just a nomination for Best Film Score of any source. Uh, Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films USA 2013. uh, They were nominated for a Saturn for Death. Best DVD Blu-ray collection. And this is just the overall Hitchcock collection. Hitchcock party, yeah. We have, uh, ooh, Cherise <laughs> du Cinema, <laughs> 1955. They were nominated for Best Film. Director's Guild of America USA 1955, nominated for a DGA Award for Outstanding Directional Achievement in Motion Pictures. Uh, DVD Exclusive Rewards 2001, uh, Video Premiere Award, uh, Best Original Retrospective Documentary. Interesting. Um, an Edgar Allan Poe Award, 1955. They did win an Edgar for Best Motion Picture. Las Vegas Film Critics uh, uh, Social Awards. Sorry, Society Awards. Yeah. Um, my mind was in two different places. <laughs> uh, Special Achievement Award uh, for uh, James C. Katz and Robert A. Harris. Um, I am on the, okay, yep, I was just like, let me make sure I'm on the right, this is the correct rear window before I keep reading oh. them up. <laughs> that
0: would be the ultimate Terrence thing to do. <laughs> that or, oh, the Schindler List Awards. <laughs> That's an inside joke if you listen to the podcast. All right. Did it it ever uh, get into the uh, National Film Registry?
1: It did, actually. So uh, I was on the Edgar Allan. Las Vegas Film Critics Society Awards, so Special Achievement Award winner. uh, National Film, sorry, National Board Review, USA 1954, uh, NBR Award for Best Actress, uh, Grace Kelly. National Film Preservation Board, USA. So it, it hit the National Film Preservation Board in 1997.
0: So uh, 33 years afterwards.
1: Yeah. So pretty, pretty much. I think right on the when it was eligible, it popped up in there. Oh, 43
0: years ago, something like that.
1: 54 to uh, 97. It's too early to math. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 43. <laughs> New York Film Critics. Circle Awards, uh, NYFCC Award for Best Actress, Grace Kelly. Online Film and Television Association 2002 it won a OFTA Film Hall of Fame Motion Picture. Uh, nominated for a Satellite Award once again. It's just the DVD collection, and then we're wrapping up with uh, Venice Film Festival 1954, a Golden Lion nominated. Oh. But that, that's a new cool-sounding award, right? And then, uh, <laughs> Not as cool as the schmooze. The schmooze. Uh, Writers Guild of America, the very last one, USA 1955. It was nominated for a WGA Award, uh, Best Written American Drama. So interestingly, uh, it didn't win too terribly much, but it was nominated for, for a handful. Well, interesting of enough,
0: there's no award in there for J- James Stewart uh, the, the main actor, it was all Grace Kelly. If you look at it, that is very true. Very interesting. So here we go. Let's talk about some of the fun, cool stuff that happened in this movie or on set. So, um, if you're, (laughs) according to miss torso, uh, do you remember the man and woman on the fire escape that, uh, trying to get out of the rain? Um, and they are, uh, they're facing Jeff's rear uh, Jeff's rear window, uh, I mean, Hitchcock was in Jeff's apartment for the entire time because it was the only one that had all the uh, light controls and all that in there, too. Yeah. But uh, this, the, the man and the woman were wearing earpieces. And when they were trying to move that mattress, he told one to pull one way and one to pull the other way. So the struggle <laughs> you see him doing is he, he left it in struggle. there. He was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> so um, he thought it was, a, you know, uh, Hitchcock has a sense of humor. Um, But they said he was so pleased with that result that he wasn't going to take it out of the movie. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, The film negative was damaged considerably as a result of color dye fading as early as the 1960s. Nearly all of the yellow images dyes had faded. Despite fears that the film had been irrevocably damaged, preservation experts were able to restore the film nearly to its original condition. Oh, wow. So...
1: Uh, and here, here's an interesting fact on the set. So uh, as we talked about before, it was shot entirely in, in Paramount Studios on one set uh, where the set was enormous. It was, you know, the, the entire apartment block uh, for Stewart's Neighbors that was built, um, offered intentionally or not an image of the world. And, and here, here's a, a little bit from, from Hitchcock. Uh, he says, it shows every kind of human behavior, a real index of individual behavior. The picture would have been very dull if we hadn't done that. Uh, what we see across the way is a group of little stories that you say a mere, uh, uh, yeah, mirror a small universe. So that, that was a little bit of an interesting fact that I found.
0: Well, and I think it's also very interesting that all the different windows that he's looking into, uh, Jeff... We'll pump Jeff. Yeah. Um, is that all of those can go back to what he's wanted to accomplish in his life? You got the newlyweds. You That's know, true. Yeah. Uh, it's just very interesting. Oh, we'll get to some of that later here in a minute. Um, <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock gave a. Georgine Darcy free-range to choreograph her own dance moves. She was the weird one that was just like dancing yeah. in her bra and panties in front of the thing, <laughs> you know. Uh, he said her his only stipulation was she was not allowed to take any dance lessons. <laughs> he wanted to maintain the imprecision um, <laughs> of the amateur dancer. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, in Cornell Woolrich's short story, on which this movie is based, it's not revealed until the very last line that this the hero has a broken leg. So, that'd be very interesting, too. Like, is this guy just a creep just looking out the window? I, know, you know right? I mean? <laughs>
1: um,
0: As Taryn said, the entire movie was shot on one set. The apartment courtyard set measured 98 feet wide, 185 feet long, and 40 feet high, and consisted of 31 apartments, eight of which were completely furnished. The courtyard was set 20 to 30 feet below stage level, and some of the buildings were the equivalent of five or six stories high. Wow. So um, this was, uh, movie was actually shot really quickly after dial-in for murder uh, from November 27, 1953 to January 13, 1954. Mm-hmm. So basically a two-month movie, month and a half to yeah. shoot this movie, which if you're not changing sets, it uh, should be... That's
1: true. Yeah. Harder, I, so. I imagine most of the difficulties with this movie were technical.
0: Yeah, it was only a month because of the very next thing I have is during the month-long shoot, Miss Torso lived in her apartment all day, which I said relaxing between takes as if she was really at home. So... um. As I said, uh, Alfred Hitchcock worked in Jeff's apartments. Um, the actors and actresses in other apartments were flesh-colored earpieces so that he could radio his directions to them. So it's pretty interesting, too. I mean, if he's over here and they're way over there. Yeah. Um, and something you may have in your notes, I don't know. I didn't do a deep dive in it, but they're saying, like, the camera that he used to spy on him, you know, remember? Oh, uh, yeah, okay. They were saying that it, he wouldn't be able to move it around that easily without a tripod. It was a camera that's usually on a tripod And the way he was just Moving around or something He shouldn't have been able to do that
1: Um, I I imagine it's part of uh, the issue that With a lens that Long you need more time to focus So you wouldn't just be able to swing it around Willy nilly. He
0: almost used like a telescope (laughs) (laughs) Um, All the apartments I guess it's all the apartments in the building Had electricity and running water And they all could be lived in so that's pretty cool Uh, This is uh, the only movie in which Grace Kelly is actually seen holding a cigarette, although she doesn't actually smoke on screen. She's a non-smoker, and in all of her movies, she had refused to smoke.
1: So I actually have um, more addition to that. So that was one of Grace Kelly's rules, was Mm -hmm. to not be filmed smoking in a movie. And so Hitchcock had to find a trick to show her smoking. So uh, here... the. uh, the editing makes an entrance with basically a super clever cut where you perceive Grace Kelly smoking while she's actually just getting ready to light a cigarette to her lips before and then holds the cigarette in her fingers afterwards. Mm. So she never actually is smoking. You just see the before shot and then her holding
0: a I'm kind of wondering if she even said anything like, I don't even want to do this. You know what I mean? Because it's still given the appearance that she, if it was in her contract yeah. or whatever. So. Uh,
1: another really, um, this was a pretty funny fact I found about uh, Grace Kelly. So uh, James Stewart's ro- wife, Gloria, was very, very concerned about her husband filling with Grace Kelly. <laughs> well, when I think Jimmy Stewart was
0: 44, I think 44 in this movie, and she's only 25. Too. Yeah. Something like that. So, so,
1: so uh, she wasn't only the most one of the, she wasn't only one of the most beautiful women in the world with a bright career, uh, but she also had a history of affairs with her partners on set. Uh, <laughs> almost insane for the situation Stuart's wife spent all of her time uh, to keep an eye on her <laughs> husband. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh...
0: 1,000 arc lights were used to simulate sunlight. Thanks to extensive pre-lighting on the set, the crew can make the changer from day to night in under 45 minutes. Now, Terrence, when they say 1,000 arc lights, what does that
1: mean? I could not tell you. Uh, lighting is a world of, like, audio is a world of its own. Like, I know the basis of it, um, but to go in depth, uh, I would actually have to, to look it up and look into it. Um, and you know what? Uh, if, if we if we go over like a movie that heavily, extensively uses set lighting, maybe I can do a little deep technical dive into lighting. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting to
0: find out. Uh, this movie was unavailable for three decades because its rights, together with four other Hitchcock movies uh, from the same period, um, were brought back by Sir Alfred Hitchcock and left as part of his legacy to his daughter. They've been known for long as the infamous... Five Lost Hitchcocks among movie buffs and were re- re-released in theaters around 1984 after a 30-year absence. The others are The Man Who Knew Too Much, Rope, The Trouble with Harry, and Vertigo. However, prior to the theatrical re-release in the 1980s, the movie was televised once in 1971 on ABC, although the network technically did not have the legal right to do so.
1: <laughs> so... It uh, it's, it, it, interestingly enough, speaking of Lost... Uh, The character Lisa, played by Grace Kelly, uh, the girlfriend, and uh, the one of Stella, uh, Thelma Ritter, the nurse. She was funny. Uh, Oh, yeah. She's (laughs) great. So they were not included in the original short story. Uh, In fact, the movie is based on, uh, it had to be a murder, a Cornell, uh, sorry, Woolrich, um, that's been adapted for the screen uh, by John Michael Hayes. And Actually, based on a true story, which I'll get to in my notes. Yeah, there's uh, I I have those some notes as well. There's two particular things um, that uh, I'll I'll just shout out mine. So the rumor was it was based on another true story that inspired Hitchcock. Uh, That is to say, an affair between a war photographer, uh, Robert Capa, and an actress, Ingrid. Bergman. Uh, the theory is based on the fact that Hitchcock was an eyewitness because the first time Ingrid Bergen uh, was filming Notorious with him. Uh, James Stewart's character has a couple of a uh, couple more details in common with uh, Kappa, like that they both lived in the borough of Greenwich Village.
0: So here so it is. Th- the, uh, the movie was inspired in part by the real life murder case of Patrick Mahon M-A-H-O-N in 1924 in Sussex, England, Mahan mm-hmm. murdered his pregnant mistress, Emily Kay, and dismembered her body. In a, a mod- in the Modern Interview, Sir Alfred Hitchcock claimed that Mahan threw the body parts out of a train window piece by piece and burned the head in his fireplace. Another in Modern Source however states that Mahan quartered the body and stored it in a large trunk, then removed internal organs, putting some in biscuit tins and a hat box and boiling others on the stove wow so uh, if anybody wants to look into the uh, murder Patrick Mahon, that'd be very interesting from 1924
1: so yeah it happened uh 1910 and 1924 uh both in England yeah there, there was two murder cases there was um as we can read in a book in the book uh Hitchcock by uh, Francis uh, Tufart, so I guess the other one would be in there. Um, the screenplay was enriched with two real murder cases. Uh, crime news found in the press happened in 1910 and 1924. So that was the 1924 one. I don't know about the 1910 murder, uh, but this particular movie was based off both those murders, which is very interesting.
0: Mm. Very, very interesting. So, um As we said, uh, uh, a higher ceiling was required because of this enormous set where Hitchcock had to tear out the entire floor of the studio, revealing the basement. So, um, James Stewart has stated that of the four Hitchcock movies that he made, that this one was his favorite that he worked on, personally.
1: Yeah, you have to do much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a cool little Easter egg. One of the photographs on the wall of Jeff's apartment is a photograph of him standing in front of an aircraft during World War II. Mr. Stewart served active duty as a. US Army Air Forces pilot during the war, flying missions as a B-24 pilot. Oh, wow. Um, according to Georgine Darcy, we get a lot of our stuff from her. She must have been liked to talk a lot, so uh, there were four separate lighting settings for this movie which were meant to replicate morning or early morning afternoon, late evening and night. She also noticed that for some of the settings, the heat from the lights were nearly unbearable for the actors and actresses on the top floor of the apartment buildings. I would imagine so. I, yeah, it
1: gets yeah. real hot real quick. Just being on a, a regular movie set that isn't completely ran by a bunch of what I imagine are really big, powerful lights. Um, sets are hot, man. Uh, and it's because of the lighting. So I imagine, yeah, it would it would be really rough for those on the top floors really close to the Well,
0: you even see them like when they're shooting outside. They still have the fake lights out there sometimes, too. You know what I mean? Just to brighten it up. So, Uh, Cinematographer Robert Burks devised a system using a camera with a telephoto lens mounted on a crane to bring the camera close enough to film small details through the windows across the courtyard. So they were very improvising along the way with how they shot this film as well. The original trailer for this movie apparently does not exist. Only a reissue trailer can be found on the DVD. So... Hmm. Um, The book that Lisa is reading at the end is an actual book, Beyond the High Himalayas, by Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas.
1: Before she puts it down and picks up a copy of The Bazaar.
0: Uh, Jeff comments to tell that when he gets married, it will be to somebody who thinks of life not just as a new dress and a lobster dinner and the latest scandal. Later, however, when Lisa is introduced, she arrives in a new dress with a lobster dinner <laughs> and relates several of the latest scandals <laughs> to
1: Jeff. So, it's very funny. Uh, I, I really didn't like his character at first. Cause, like, I don't think did. nobody did. Even yeah. Just, because, like, but how, like, long, wow, had he, how she, long had he been in that cast already? Was it, like, six weeks or something? I think so, yeah. Well, and he she was coming was, up on the end of it. Yeah, she's she was, like, a couple more days it. or so. Um, but, like, you, you can tell just in the scenes. and it's, it's very well, you know, acted and everything. But, you know, she loves him. And you can tell in, in her way. And she's doing everything she can to, like, showcase that. And he's just being so salty about but, it. But then again, you don't really know that she does that. Because she talks
0: about all the other guys and everything, too. So you don't really... No, she loves him you know what i mean basically she plays off like he's just another one of the guys to her you know because she, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. he's like oh well and she's like well i can just leave and go to another you know guy or whatever yeah. um at the time this set was the largest indoor set ever built at paramount studios or paramount picture studios um let's see this is ranked uh in 2007 by the afi as the 48th greatest movie of all time um, Check another one off the box. Yep. <laughs> this was Franz Waxman's final score for Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, Grace Kelly actually celebrated one of her birthdays on the set, November 12, 1953. Uh, the $1,100 dress Lisa wears, the black bodice with the white skirt, would be around $11,000 in 2021. Oh, wow. So, Terrence, you know, that sweatshirt you're wearing is probably, <laughs> <laughs> in 2042, still be worth $10. <laughs> no, right. Inflation, yeah. Um... Let's see here. Oh, the camera work from th- this is one of the Hitchcockisms or whatever where he falls from the window. Oh, you know that yeah. ah, you see it in North by Northwest too. <laughs> yeah. the, the famous wall. So terrible, it's good. Um, the Flash that Jeffrey uses is the same type of unit that would be used as the body of Luke Skywalker's prop lightsaber in Star Wars, A New Hope.
1: Oh there, yeah. There,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Stewart was forty six, Chris Kelly was only twenty-five when this movie was made. Um Playing the part of the man who sleeps on the mattress on the fire escape is Frank Caddy, better known as likable Sam Drucker from the TV series Petticoat Junction and Green Acres. Uh, During the opening of this film, at about 23 seconds in, as the camera leaves Jeff's apartment and follows a cat for a moment across the courtyard, and then when it tilts upward and pans to the left towards the top apartments, you see a mysterious flash of light for a moment in one of the top windows, possibly the Bathing Beauties apartment. Strangely enough, this apartment is never mentioned in the film or the flash explained.
1: Yeah, I saw that, and I was like, "Are we going to come back to that?" Or and yeah, then, like, yeah. <laughs> and then what was up with the what was up with the
0: the one couple that was like right next door to him, or what? You know, the one and he was all the guy was always out there smoking. They were always arguing. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. So to determine what kind of special effects to employ for the flash, cycle like, <laughs> the flash, you know, the light bulb yeah. scenes, or the the camera bulbs, uh, <laughs> when Thorwald's coming in there to kill him that the uh, crew members waited in a dark room and they had somebody come in and, <laughs> and then they described uh, everybody what they saw and that's what they came up with. So, that's very. So, Terrence, give me your thoughts on The Rear Window.
1: So, Rear Window. This was my first time watching this particular Hitchcock movie um, where, as the others I've seen before, um, watched at some of them a second time, a third time. Uh, this was my first viewing and uh, it was a very... Interesting movie. Overall, super enjoyed it. Great movie. Um, you you do kind of like we were talking about before. You do kind of feel weird when you're first watching it because <laughs> it, it, the whole movie it's a very like voyeuristic movie. So you, you know you're watching in the perspective of of this character who's just watching all of his neighbors, and then so you know. Or he's watching it with ease, uh, just due to probably his profession and stuff like that. He's constantly observing, um, you know, looking for like a good shot, pictures, what that, whatever, whatnot. And he's bored, um, but just as, as like an individual, even though you're just watching a movie, it still feels awkward to like watch these people's lives through their window and not have them know. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's very interesting. Um, and like I was talking about before, you know, Hitchcock does this thing where he strings you along for you to think one thing and then slowly turns it into another because for a good chunk of the movie, you don't know whether that guy was a murderer or not. Mm-hmm. And he throws a couple you know things in there for you to be like, well, maybe uh, maybe that this guy's just going crazy while he's just cooped up in his apartment and he's, you know, drawing conclusions where there's none to be drawn, um, so in particular when you, you know, you, you see the scene with him and talking with, uh, uh, Detective Doyle, um, you almost kind of side with Doyle a little bit, but you also want to side with the protagonist to be like, well, you know, maybe he is right, but maybe not, because there's not enough here to say so, and, um, and even with the, the, some of the neighbors he's watching, like the dancer, for example, um, uh, the protagonist immediately starts thinking she's like promiscuous and stuff where um, she's not uh, there's there's a couple other assumptions of like like the happy couple, and it turns out they're not mm-hmm. um, and so so it's it's very very cool how he just kind of strings the audience along into thinking one thing and then subjecting almost all of those expectations and then turning everything into something else. Mm.
0: I thought it was funny too like the dancing lady you know you're thinking oh this lady uh, she might be a lady of the night or something the way she just you know flaunts and everything and then you see her I guess it's her boyfriend, her husband. Come yep. on, he's a, a military guy, short yeah. little guy endured with the And you know, he's like, "Hey, baby, what's in the fridge?" You know, they go, "Both right over the fridge, I'm hungry. Um, and then you, 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 you actually feel for some of the other characters, like the the lonely Miss Lonely Hearts. I think's her name. Yeah, um, remember the scene where she's actually over there, you know, trying to set up the table to pour and key and laughing and all that herself. And they come to find out, you know, he's watching her and, and she's taking those pills or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so you, you you feel for that
1: lady. Well, like at the end, she was pretty much saved by music. Right. Because uh, she was ready to... The, the nurse caught on to it too because they were about to call the the police right. to go save her because uh, she was about to uh, take too many sleeping pills. And
0: then you had the musicians uh, playing. You had the newlywed couple. You had the Thor Waltz. Um, you just have a bunch of different ways of life. Um and it was very fun to, to get in, in, entwined with it because, and then then, then if you remember, uh, Jimmy Stewart would be watching out of his window and then yeah. he would like fall asleep and then he'd wake yeah. up and then they're all doing something else, and then he would fall asleep. You know, like, especially when he's trying to figure out if he murdered yeah. uh, the murderer or not. And then, you know, he'd fall asleep. But then you only get little chunks and pieces because there's time has lapsed and you don't know what happened. Exactly. Um, and then you have the whole scenario of. Uh, the nurse and uh, Grace Kelly's character sneaking over there to see if they can find any oh, yeah. clues and everything, and then he comes back home, and then um, the, they say, hey, you guys need to go go down to get the sheriff, or the sheriff, the, the cop, and then Thorwald actually comes into his room, and you're like, oh, man, this is... Right, that
1: was an intense scene. right? And and that that's another thing I, I want to really highlight is, is the acting in this movie is phenomenal, especially for the type of movie that heavily relies on it, not to say any other movie does, but because we're not using, you know, uh, we don't have different set changes and all this other stuff, and we're, we're pretty much... We are in the room, except for when he falls that's the only time the really camera perspective changes. Uh, Other than that, we're always in his apartment. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it really, the acting really just pulls through, and you never feel bored by the same sort of setting the whole entire movie. And I didn't
0: know how I was going to feel by being stuck in the same position this entire two-hour movie. You know what I mean? (laughs) But... It doesn't feel like a two hour movie. It doesn't, no. No, because there's so, it's a Hitchcock film. Of course, he's always going to throw stuff in there. So you, and each apartment across the way has something going on in it that you want to know what's going on. You know what I mean? So, very good movie. It's uh, definitely, definitely worth a watch or
1: own um, for me. Um, This is definitely, yeah, I I definitely recommend this one in particular. um, I even want to put it up to like, it's like a light thriller movie. In a way, I would say mystery thriller. Yeah, yeah. Mystery I wouldn't call thriller. it a horror
0: movie. Yeah, uh, but it's definitely a mystery thriller. For uh, sure. Yeah, definitely. And um, if,
1: if those two uh, types are up your alley, then this this movie's definite. But overall, like I said, it's uh, it's a recommended at least a one time watch movie. It's I really enjoyed it.
0: And what I like about this movie is it shows the um, how great of an actor Jimmy Stewart was because he can go oh, from yeah. a western to this and then to north by northwest you know it just he's he can encompass it all man that's why he's one of my favorites of all time it just doesn't get much better than him so well um if you like what you heard uh, you can find us out uh, on the tragedy of cinema podcast uh facebook group chat uh, our facebook group uh, we always have a lot of fun and post crazy stuff in there um <laughs> hopefully terrence will make another appearance i definitely on a regular will. basis now <laughs> uh Hopefully, he sets his alarm to make the live show on July 16th. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, one of these days, you'll have all three of the hosts back in here. But it's nice when at least one of the other guys can make it when the other one can't. That's why we brought Kyle in, too, because Terrence will starting a new job and everything. So, it's still nice to be putting out product, even if it's not what the whole team is still yeah. getting out there. So, um, hope you guys are enjoying your—this is getting close to the new year uh, because we record these earlier— um so if if it's not the new year we hope you have a happy new year coming up if it's after the year welcome to the new
1: year <laughs> are, are we showcasing uh our next episode what we're doing next well
0: there there is two that we might be doing well we will probably record two the next time we uh we talk um the next one i think we're going to do is we're going we usually don't do anything 20 years or sooner uh because we want to make sure you know we, it's a classic by that time but there is one thing that we have never done on this podcast, and I think this is the perfect one to introduce it to this podcast because of the man's legacy, because of his life. And we will be covering the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, uh, which is the documentary on Mr. Fred Rogers' life. I grew up with Mr. Rogers I'm sure Terrence has seen Mr. Rogers. Course, I, yeah. Terrence might not even know who Mr. Rogers oh, is. But <laughs> uh, yeah, we wanted to make sure we covered that. If uh, And I really want Kyle to be here for that one. Um, so it's either going to be that or we're going to dive into our first ever Bond. Oh, okay. James Bond. With, I came back at the right time. With Dr. <laughs> no. So uh, it'll be one of those two. I'm not sure exactly which one, but those will probably be the
1: next two that we actually officially do. Do also, uh, it's December. So uh in the comments, let's bring back the age old argument is Die Hard a Christmas movie. <laughs> well, Terrence, by the time this releases,
0: um since you haven't been here for this, our Christmas episode will already be out. And Kyle and I did cover Die Hard for our Christmas episode this I year. I saw that, yeah. And we will uh <laughs> I'm not gonna give anything away because it's already been given away, but um, just remember folks Don't let your friends think that Die Hard's a Christmas movie at this point. (laughs) Well, I think we've rattled on long enough. It's great to have Terrence back. So with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close. And that's a wrap.
1: And cut. Is it just me?